0: No Direction's Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage is brought to you by Roll for Combat's new Fall of Plagestone Pathfinder 2E actual play podcast. Featuring Stephen Glicker, Jason McDonald, Rob Tremarco, and No Direction's own Lauren Sig and Vanessa Hoskins. Find it and other Pathfinder and Starfinder podcasts, interviews, and reviews at rollforcombat.com.
1: No Direction presents our Gen Con 2019 seminar coverage in partnership with Pazzo. We'd like to thank our seminar team, Lauren Sieg, James Ballad, Vanessa Hoskins, and me, Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Barham. We'd also like to thank Peyton Smith from Paizo for helping getting this produced. This content and more great seminar coverage, as well as Pathfinder and Starfinder content, is available at nodirectionpodcast.com.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to what is our final Pathfinder 2 panel of Gen Con 2019. Hello, everybody. Uh, I, actually, I, I should clarify, that's not our final Paizo panel of 2019. It's, it's our final use. panel. It is our final pa- It's Sunday. We don't really know what's happening anymore. Um, it's, been a, it's been a crazy couple of days. Um, and I have to admit, uh, this show has blown away all of our expectations. Um, it has really been an amazing time. So we thought we would take an hour here on Sunday to just kind of relax Talk about the philosophy of the game and where we're going from here. Uh, by now, I expect many of you already have the game. Is there anybody here who hasn't bought Pathfinder 2nd Edition? Because we can we can hold the panel. There's a booth right across the way.
3: No, uh, There's like no line.
2: Yeah, no, you can walk right up and get what you need. Um, so uh, what we're going to be doing here today is talking a little bit about how we made Pathfinder 2nd Edition and what that... Structure what the way that we built it what it means for the future.
3: So I'm a little uh, curious though of a second question now That we're on the last day. How many of you have had a chance to play Pathfinder second edition sometime at Gen Con? It's a good number.
2: So it's a good, good number, number,
3: but a good number haven't. Yeah, good All to right. know
2: um, So yeah, that's what we're gonna be doing here today And we're gonna leave as much time as we can for a little bit of Q&A at the end um, now that we have gotten past the 2019 and beyond seminar um, we can also talk a little bit about the announced Bestiary 2 and the Advanced Player's Guide, which we announced yesterday. Uh, that'll be coming out next year with a playtest in October.
0: I brought my cheat sheet of all the products so I can keep them, keep them straight.
2: Nice, nice. It wouldn't surprise me if actually we ended up skipping one or two of those oh, in, in yeah. the rush because we went so fast to make that panel happen yesterday. <laughs> uh, next year, that's going to be a two-hour, I think. Um <laughs>
0: You didn't catch all, like, 18?
2: God help us. Yeah, it's going to be like, yeah, This is, and then we're releasing this dinner napkin.
3: Um, I heard it made it to the 45 point, and you hadn't announced anything except for the near space that had not already been announced. When we got the to
2: the advanced player's guide, I think I had negative two minutes left in that panel. Um, we were already over time. Uh, So, uh, let's start out talking a little bit about how we built this game, what the philosophy was behind it, and uh, I don't want to belabor that point too much, but we'll then use that to go into the future. So, uh, the one thing I'll, 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 I'll throw on the pipe, wait, we should announce ourselves. Hi, I'm Jason Bolman. I'm the director of game design at Paizo. Oh, it's Sunday, this is always the worst. <laughs> Don't record these. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's live stream. Stop
0: watching. Uh, every
2: time. Uh, hi, I'm Jason Bolman. I'm the director of game design at Paizo.
3: I'm
0: Logan Bonner, I'm a designer at Paizo.
3: Mark Seifter, designer at Paizo. And together we're three of the four leads for Pathfinder 2nd yep. Edition. That is correct. So uh, the thing I'll throw
2: on the pyre before I uh, toss it over to uh, my uh, compatriots here to talk a bit more about uh, the design philosophy is that the one thing that was one of my guiding principles for this game when we started from the very beginning was to look at all of the various systems in the game and identify those that were all trying to do the same work. Right? And say, why do we have seven systems doing the same thing? That that doesn't make any sense. There's a lot of examples of this. And, uh, you know, the the goal here was to take those systems and unify them in a way that makes it easier for everyone to understand, easier to learn, uh, and easier to teach to new players. So, um, you know, for example, we uh, we realized that, you know, if you wanted to customize your character, you know, more than just oh I picked this skill over that skill Um, but really like I want to add these class features to my character we had three distinct ways in first edition that we did that right we could multi-class we could add a prestige class or we can add an archetype well those are three things all trying to do the exact same thing they do them a little differently they all had a different structure for it um but fundamentally, they were all doing the same thing. So that's why in second edition, that's one system that's just archetypes. Um, you know, we looked at the various math formulas. We had things that were scaling at, you know, one per level, things that were scaling at three quarters per level, things that were scaling at half per level, things that were scaling at half plus two, things that were scaling at one third. And, and we had all these formulas yep. basically trying to tell you this is how good you are at a thing. But they all did it differently. It's like, why are we doing that? That's, that's, that's not exactly the most elegant way to make that happen. So that's why proficiency exists. Because it's one system to describe how good you are at everything, which makes it easier for us to judge, easier for us to balance rules around, and most importantly, easier for all of you to understand. So, I, I think you know, whenever we went into the game, that was one of my biggest guiding principles, but I'll let uh, each of you talk about what, uh, what was really driving some of your design.
0: Uh, one of the things for me that uh, is really important is uh, making sure that your decisions matter and they really feel like they matter. And so one of the things that I didn't like as much in Pathfinder 1 was there were a lot of things that kind of felt like a foregone conclusion, especially like, my skill bonus has gotten so high, that I don't really need to roll anymore, uh, and that kind of thing. And, uh, well, I might as well do this because there's no cost to doing it, there's no risk to doing it. I really like it when any choice can spin the story off in an interesting direction. So one of my uh, biggest focuses was uh, in things uh, like uh, the skill checks, having it mean that something really interesting is going to happen, potentially even if you fail, that there is, it it takes actions to do some of the, uh, like, Uh, Identify creatures and that kind of thing so that you aren't just kind of saying like well I'm gonna do these eight things and then do my actual actions that kind of stuff. Um, So getting more uh, Important choice and fewer um, kind of preordained decisions uh, was one of my big
2: And getting rid of those meaningless freebies like whenever you saw a monster and everybody tried to roll a die it was like, oh, oh, I can try religion. I mean, I, I'm not good at it, but I'll, I'll try it. Maybe I'll get a 20. <laughs> and and all of a sudden, the game just ground to a halt because everybody wanted to make a check. You know, it's one of those things that I think when we see people play, they immediately kind of look at it and they're like, oh, I missed the free check. And I'm like, yeah, you take, do now. Take
0: that feat and you'll get the yeah. free check. Yeah. Well,
2: and, and you can take a feat and have the free check, but that feat indicates that you have spent so much time studying this that the knowledge comes to your mind immediately. That makes sense. And it really does prevent play from just grinding to a halt every time something weird appears.
3: Especially if six PCs are at your table, which is sort of the standard in organized play and a lot of tables out there, and there's five different kinds of monsters, that's 30 checks that you have to adjudicate instantly. It's
2: really exciting. Yeah. (laughs)
0: And uh, skill ranks are another one that's kind of similar to that, because a lot of times, you know, you'll get seven ranks, but a whole bunch of those are kind of foregone conclusions, if not all of them. So like the The way we did skill increases is kind of so you can say and this is when i decisively get better at thievery
3: so for me uh, my background's in computer science before game design and it's very tied to what jason said for his philosophy but it's really important to have modularity in the game because pathfinder first edition is a system i deeply love i loved it enough to leave my degree and come to paizo to work on it and um unfortunately though does have one weakness, which is it's kind of like computer code that, you know, you kind of wrote it, you didn't document it, you added more modules onto it. And now if you remove a line, five things could break somewhere else, especially if it's not, you know, the person who wrote the code. So with second edition, uh, by making things more modular and by, like Jason said, making things work so you learn it once and it works across the game, what it really means is that you guys can not only understand it more easily not only play it more easily but if you want to mod the game because that was something i was big into when i was a player in gm it's easy enough to do that without needing to have like a whole big pathfinder unchained where we spend a lot of hours figuring it out so for example in pathfinder first and pathfinder second edition um we tell stories where a 20th level fighter is going to probably kill a thousand first level fighters if you put them in a room with those thousands but in some fantasy novels like in the wheel of time there's a swordmaster named Len who gets ambushed by eight bandits on the road he looks he says I can tell they're all trained soldiers before they became bandits I'm probably gonna die that's eight against one someone's gonna slip past my guard If you want to tell that story in Pathfinder first well you probably need one of us to figure out how to change the math to get that to work in second um Jason talked about the unified proficiency which is trained is your level plus 2, expert is your level plus 4, master is your level plus 6 and legendary is your level plus 8. Remove that level from everything. And do you have any weird side effects? Not really. The only effect you have is the one you wanted, which is the eight bandits on the road are a much more deadly threat for the higher level character and conversely that one big dragon is a smaller threat because your PCs are the eight bandits on the road attacking the dragon. So.
2: Let's be honest. Your PCs were always the eight bandits on the road.
3: Um, <laughs> probably.
2: So, you know, I, I think one of the big things that I'm, uh, I, I, I want to kind of get across, because it's not necessarily obvious in the book, right, is we built these things this way for a lot of reasons. Um, one of the big ones was just, hey, this game is now easier for you to learn, it's easier to teach to new players, it's better at the table, it makes for a more cinematic narrative experience. Um, But there are other reasons as well, and some of those have to do with the future, um, which is something I definitely want to talk about in this panel. So, um, I would say that like, you know, looking back over 10 years of Pathfinder First Edition, we, we certainly Built a lot of things to go onto the game, but they were all kind of bolt-on things. It was like, here's the core of the game, and now we add this, but we're just bolting it on. The system never knew that was going to exist, so the best we could do is just kind of strap it to the hole with a bunch of duct tape and call it good.
0: The cleric right. was not ready to gain archetypes. Yeah, right. Like, it's not built well, and
2: on. and that's exactly the the perfect example. Is that archetypes are this cool, amazing thing that everyone loved. I mean, unless you were like a cleric or a wizard, because you basically didn't get any. You had a few. I'm not saying there were none, but there were not many.
3: And they tended um, to be ones that people online either said were like kind of weak because there wasn't much to trade out or kind of overpowered because they just got stuff and they didn't trade out almost anything for it. There, yeah. weren't, there were not very many archetypes online that people said, no, yeah, that's a really exciting, interesting and balanced trade. Yeah, for so,
2: yeah. So, I mean, what you ended up with is, is a number of systems that were added to the game, but they weren't added holistically. With 2nd Edition, we were able to kind of look at all the systems we had built for 1st Edition, kind of tried to dream forward into the future, and made sure that the new system would accommodate them well. Even if they're not there right now. I mean, the, the core rulebook has 12 multi-class archetypes in it. I mean you all know we're, we're gonna do a lot more of those archetypes are awesome everybody likes them the advanced players guide we announced yesterday is going to contain 60 pages worth of archetypes that's a lot of archetypes that's probably close to 60. <laughs> um, we try and do them one a page I don't know that well I hold. think a fair uh, number will we'll
3: be hold. two per page we have uh, we'll written see. a lot yeah. for other books there's a lot of twos. There's a lot of ones. It won't be sixty. Yeah, I think types, a yesterday. It'll be a lot. I think it'll yesterday
2: I said sixty without adding the word pages to the end. So oh, okay. I want to. I want to clarify
3: that. But um, that's very important. Everyone, tell yeah, your no. friends. No, <laughs> we we we
2: just told the internet. That's all of our friends. Okay. All of my friends live on the internet.
3: They'll get it up on. No, Re- it's fine. I'm um, now. <laughs> yeah, no,
2: it'll be fine. Uh, so uh where was I? Oh yeah. Um, so you know um. These, making these a holistic part of the game from day one was an important design goal. Um,
0: it also had another effect that we wanted, because making them more modular also meant that we unified the structure a little more of some of the classes. Uh, mm. Which means that it is pretty easy to build a character and then you know the process for the next character you're building. So you're using the same basic structure, though you're making different choices. Um, and Steven and I both worked on 4th edition D&D, and we liked a lot of stuff about that system, but one of the things that always dissatisfied me about it was the power structure meant that you're always getting the same type of thing for each character, and so we wanted like a similar structure where you're getting new things, but... Those decisions just have a much different effect because yeah. the types of feature taking as a fighter are not the same types of uh, feature taking as a cleric or as a druid.
2: Yeah, you, you never have to worry about them living in the same arena because they, they are designed not to. And they speak specifically to what your character chassis is giving you anyway, right? So uh, you don't have to worry about being like, oh, well, that power is better than this one. Um, because that's not how Pathfinder works. The the wizard feats speak to spell casting and what you do with spells. The fighter feats speak to moving around and stabbing people with sharp pieces of metal right. that it's, you may have shot off. Of it's it's
0: potato potato. And if you're yeah. doing comparison, you're comparing things that are alike, like the barbarian versus the fighter versus yeah. and, the and
2: those champion. are already similar. Right. Yeah, and each
3: um, of those still has a really different play style in Pathfinder 2nd. Exactly. So, um,
2: I think that was kind of uh, one of the big driving goals was to make sure that as we built the game, we were building it for the future as well.
3: Modular also helps with that. I should have mentioned future proofing in the the benefits, but it's absolutely true. It's going to be so much easier for us to get you more... um, Interesting and really evocative content. In the same way, it'll be easier for you to mod the game and create your own content.
0: And another one of our big goals was kind of removing some barriers, like things mm. that were were hard for new folks to to understand and often even experienced folks to understand. So, like that modularity means when we slot something new in, you'll see where it goes mm. and be like, "Oh, okay, I understand how that works." Rather than like a new system that has to swap out something that already existed in a weird way, which just kind of makes it a little more confusing, a little harder to use.
3: Or like skill uses. In, in Pathfinder first, Jason talked about all of the progressions that are on your sheet. But like when you go to intimidate someone, you need to calculate a bespoke DC that is never used ever again or stored in any location of 10 plus a half their level plus their wisdom modifier plus their save bonuses against fear. Right. And that's just there. I, I know what it is. Maybe you guys Yeah, did too. I didn't even
2: know that anymore. Yeah. I, I purged that from it. my brain. No, I know I did.
3: Um, I think you added the Save Against Fear from that wasn't there in 3.5 mm-hmm. or something like so, that. So, um,
2: now I'm just imagining a bespoke DC, so there's, like, some goblin-like
0: <laughs> clothier who comes out and is like, oh, hey, yes,
2: well, what would you I like, I guess sir? I've
3: calculated your bespoke <clears> DC <disease throat> for you. This is it seven?
0: What?
2: It's, <laughs> it's Sunday. We're out of the good jokes. What do you want? Um... <laughs> So um, I think this goes beyond just kind of general mechanics as well. Like, um, <clears throat> Although I will say that one thing that has me excited about that is so much of this became one unified system in ways that allows a lot of this content to be used much more broadly. Um, you know, uh, the way that archetypes are built now is you just sacrifice class feats to, to gain access. Um, well, everyone has class feeds and they all get them at about the same rate, which means everyone can take every archetype. We don't have to recreate the same archetype seven times because we like the concept, but we want one for the barbarian and one for the rogue and one for the fighter. We can now just create the acrobat archetype and everyone can take it. Right. So if you're all playing you know, Extinction Curse, the, the second, second edition AP that's due out in about six months, and you're all part of a circus, you can all have the acrobat archetype, although you won't be able to because it won't be out yet. But, uh, but that, that's the thought, is that you can all take the archetype and you can still be a fighter, a cleric, a wizard, and a rogue and doing the things the game needs you to do. But you can also have archetypes that make you cool and thematic and work well together as a group.
3: Or even um, for another <clears throat> really big example that we gave in the last panel, hmm. actually a question asked us in the last panel. To use guns in Pathfinder 1st Edition, there was hmm. the Holy Gun for the Paladin and the spell slinger for the Wizard. And there was just one of them in every class, more yeah. or less. And we wound up with printing almost an entire player companion's worth, if you gathered them together, of content that was only archetypes to use guns, many of which had similar abilities. So we can just do that in one. Yeah, and, and suddenly we'll just call we have it... Sp-
2: Guns, Guns. Or it
3: could be the gunslinger multi-class archetype or the the gunslinger archetype or something like that. Right? So and now we have space for twenty-nine up to twenty-nine more archetypes um, that was in the other space. So it lets us get you more content quickly that you can use on your character. And you can be creative and tell the story of your character, and you don't need to rely on us to oh, I'm glad they decided to pick the class I wanted to get guns. No, it's the class you want that gets guns.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, 30 archetypes becomes 30 new options for every character, not one option for your character. I think that's one of the things we're really excited about. And, and that, that all comes back to us being able to sit down and look at the game from 10,000 feet and go, how can we make this game better? And a better experience, not just at the table, but for all of you buying books and trying to absorb this game and trying to bring it to your 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 friends and stuff. That that's equally important. Oh, the hell, that that may be even more important, Probably right? More I mean, that you know, you being able to get the most out of the things you get from us. I mean, you know, Ultimate Combat was a great book, but if you were playing a you know Bard, there was not a lot in that book for you. Now every archetype is something that you might be able to pull from. Every time we release new ancestry feats, that might be something else you can pick up over time. Um, you know, we we tried to take that approach everywhere. There and, were and, and
0: condensing down the spell list is similar to that. It's yeah, like if, yep. if we publish a new spell and uh, your class hasn't come out yet, and we, you know, it's much easier to be like, well, it's on that spell list, so I get a pretty good idea what I can. Take it or not. <laughs> Logan yeah. remembers
3: that because he's the one who had to build, build the, um, the i sorry. Advanced class <laughs> origin spell list that caught up all of the new classes. Right. Events class guide to the older spells that were built before him.
2: Yeah, and like I mean, by the end we were producing spell chapters where it was like 30 pages long and 15 of it was spell lists because everybody had a spell list. Well, now we just have four, right? And and that, that means more spells to... for everybody. Exactly. By more content lot. for you. More things you can use at the table, more ideas to add to your characters. And we have a
0: strong kind of story thematic world link for how those spell lists are built, and therefore, you know, it, it feels like a part of the story how that spell list works.
2: Yeah. And it goes beyond player characters, too, right? I mean, we, we took a similar approach to monsters, uh, traps, all of that has a similar kind of design philosophy of. What can we do to make this an easier part of the game, an easier thing for everyone to work with, but still give you all of the richness and robustness that you come to expect from Pathfinder? So the monster math, we went away from building giant complex formulas that oftentimes were just there to be like, no, but I mean, really, it should be about plus 22. I mean, so keep yeah, fidgeting the, with it until yeah. it's plus 22. Yeah, here's
0: the formula to get your AC, and then also add a discretionary number like 8 to that. Of natural to get number, to
2: 22, because yeah. yeah. we really wanted it to be 22. Yeah.
3: Because before, from a philosophy standpoint, we were building it bottom-up in Pathfinder First Edition. You just started going into the minutiae of the formulas, and you want a Fey Warrior, and you build it up, and... You f- took the number of hit dice it said in best rate 1 for a fey of that level, and then you found out, oh, your fey warrior is terrible. Its accuracy is 12 less than it was supposed to be, because it had half base attack deck bonus. Now we have a top-down system. You're still going to be able to put tons of detail into your monster. You're going to be able to give them cool thematic abilities, but by going top-down, you start with your concept, fey warrior, and that determines, rather than going from the bottom up, some minute numbers that determines some of the top level numbers so you know the fey warrior is going to be able to be a fey warrior then from there there are guidelines that build it down and you still get all the same detail that you're used to just from a direction that guarantees you don't have to go back to the drawing board when you're done
0: and we're uh and writing that stuff up for game mastery guide uh one of the things that we're trying to focus on is being more explicit about kind of the intentions of different things. So like that section on building monsters, the numbers are not that hard. It's all the other stuff that's hard. It's the art of it uh, and how you make it really work for your game and get the feeling across you want in a battle. So that's what we're going to be spending a uh, a lot of those pages talking about is how to tweak it so that it gets the right feel when it hits the table in your game.
3: And Logan just did a great job right before coming to the con taking our like sort of... Really sketchy, just for us and freelancers. Notes about building a monster and turning it into something to teach you guys how to build it. I think you guys are gonna love it when Game Master Guide comes out.
2: If if not before, I might try and push those out the door sooner. That would be. Yeah. I, I would. Be really, really important. Really, to really, really so, excited so, if you yeah, pushed it out so, the door sooner. So, I think
0: we'd all like to get those out.
2: The, the yeah. I, I can't make any promises to this regard right now. I want to look at our schedules when we get back to the office, but I may try and push the monster rolls out the door a little faster as a PDF for everybody to start using because a lot, it a lot really of that will
0: depend on the rest of the pipeline whether yeah
2: yeah, and that's point. that's the big challenge, that's right? Big I don't trigger. I don't want to speak ex cathedra for when I have editors and layout folk who are like, excuse me, I am busy, <laughs> but um, but
3: shortly at least by the time we send it send off the final file, right? Oh yeah, that that doesn't get that. it any right, earlier yeah, for yeah, them. But,
2: we don't need to have the okay. meeting up here. All right. I need mean, you guys to all turn away so we can have a discussion. You guys heard um, it
3: here, folks. So, um,
2: it's Sunday. It's uh, Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, the, going beyond things that are, that are, uh, you know, what, what, what came out now. Um, you know, yesterday we also t- announced Best Area 2, um, which is filled with a lot of uh, great, fun new monsters, things like the Ravener. Things like Serpent Folk, Morlocks, um, uh, mm-hmm. the grindylow and uh, the um,
3: Jabberwock is making
2: yep. an appearance through this that's, book as well. That's a sketch of the cover.
3: Jason, did you tell them what type of dragons are signature dragons? Uh, they are... I know the answer, but did you tell well, them? I, I did yesterday, okay. but I can't remember. They're the primal was, dragons, primal. Same, same as the last Bestiary too. But probably, that wasn't a guarantee. We actually yeah. went through a process of like what dragons are the right ones this time. So chances are, some of your favorite monsters, if they're not in the much expanded, longer bestiary one that has more monsters, chances are they're in here. Yeah.
2: So uh, the book's going to contain, uh, you know, an, it's going to be another three hundred and twenty-page monster book. Taken together with bestiary one, um, you know, we're going to give you seven or eight hundred monsters total for your game. Uh, we. Felt that that was really important. We kind of accelerated the timeline on this one because more monsters is more better and it also really helps everyone who wants to convert uh, adventure paths and things like that. This gives you the ability to do that sooner because the easiest conversion job in Pathfinder 2nd Edition is just taking the new stats and plugging them in. Um, I've been able to do that. Like, I can run modules on the fly that way, right? You know, yep. uh, a year and a half ago, I ran Crypt of the Everflame for the Glass Cannon guys. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any work in advance for that. I just showed up and ran it. And I, I did swapped. a little
3: work in advance. For, well, for all, all we
2: all we did was sort out the stat block yes. so that because it was in a giant <laughs> file. But, but it's not like I sat down and made new monsters or yeah. had to convert DCs or anything. I just did that all as we were playing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, That book is going to come out in spring 2020, Um, but the thing that we are super excited about, and I'm sure that all of you are super excited about as well, is the Advanced Player's Guide for 2nd Edition. Now, this book, along with the Game Mastery Guide, the Core Rulebook, and Bestiary 1, kind of form what we consider to be the real heart of the system, the real core. I mean, you can add more Bestiaries into that if you want, but the real heart of the Pathfinder role-playing game system is the Core Rulebook, the Advanced Player's Guide, the Game Mastery Guide, and the Bestiaries. And that's what we will, uh, going forward, assume is kind of the the heart of your table. We will assume that on the whole, most tables will use these four books. Because that's the way it worked in first edition. Now, all the books that come after that, we're going to let you decide how you plug those into your game. That's a big thing that I'm, I'm still trying to puzzle out, and I don't, I don't want to go into too many details because we haven't announced any books beyond that. Um, but this, some of this ties into how the rarity system works. Like, we built these pieces so that we could use them to help manage tables better as well. Um, so pretty excited about that, but the Advanced Player's Guide is assumed to be kind of part of the core. And as such, it is filled with kind of more of what you expect from Pathfinder. Um, it has it four new classes in it. Uh sorry, I, I, I cut you off. Um, uh, it has four new classes in it. It has the uh, the Investigator. <laughs> I always nearly say the wrong one. You gotta write this time. Yeah, no. It has the investigator, the witch, the oracle, and the swashbuckler. All four of those classes will be released for a public playtest this October. Uh, as soon as we get the time to design them, <laughs> uh, so uh, we're really excited to get those classes out there. And uh, uh, why, why don't we talk a little bit about why we picked those? Okay. Yeah,
0: uh, the one that we really kind of knew for sure was going to be in there from the start was the witch, uh, and the witch was on the short list for the core rulebook as well because we kind of knew we wanted another class, uh, and it came down to like witch or alchemist were and oracle, oracle was and in the oracle. oracle. It was three the three of them. So the Witch, like we kind of already knew going in, was going to be in there. The Investigator, uh, we got in there because a lot of other classes that are out there, uh, there's some kind of uh, halfway mark you can get to with just the core rulebook. But the Investigator needs a suite of abilities that's just really different um, to to make it really work the way it's intended to. So we wanted to get that out in there early because we know there are going to be... uh, adventures that include investigation and we want to make sure there's a character you can look at that's really good at that. Well, for since
3: the Edgewatch Watch adventure path that's coming out at the yeah. same the same time as the events yeah. players guide CSI, where you're where you are all yeah. guards, right? That's a perfect one for that class.
0: Yeah. And it's just a really cool class. Yeah. Um, then the uh, the Oracle was one that we uh, were kind of like the, the the other two are ones that were I think a little more in question for a lot of it uh, yeah. because, because there's just there's so many options so many classes that people want to see. Um, the Mark, or, wanna... the
3: Oracle was a drastic fan favorite, mm-hmm. that's and true. that's what that's what won it out for the Oracle yeah, really I mean, uh, because part of
0: our surveys was asking which classes people wanted to see. And it was the actually was an
3: earlier out. survey. It was even it was my uh, sneaky one. It was sneaky. Yeah. It was a census of players that was not. It was before we had announced Second Edition that indicated that the Alchemist and the Oracle were almost neck and neck. They were not statistically significantly different in the number of players who used them, although there were a lot of like Oracle dips to abuse charisma. And so the the ones the Alchemist won out because people were actually playing the Alchemist. Yeah, we saw um, what you
2: did there. That's
3: right. So, but the Oracle beat out several core classes, the which was not even close in terms of what you guys played. But thematically for the world, It was still a very high up it just didn't beat out several core classes so the oracle was in question but thematically but it's just so popular everyone was uh, was even saying oh do i love divine sorcerer but does that mean i won't get the oracle so that's sort of how the oracle got in yeah
2: it's one of the classes that i think the thing i want to kind of stress to everyone is that you know when we look at something like the oracle yeah you're right the divine sorcerer uh, a sorcerer who's casting off the divine list does kind of eat the the lunch of the oracle, um,
0: on, on like the most on, basic mechanical level. Yeah, which is on one it, of the things that we, yeah. we we hear that a lot. But it's it's partially true. But there's a lot more to it.
2: Well, and it's also the thing that we have to change and make new anyway, right? And so, they already had so,
3: mysteries. They had curses. That's yeah, very different yeah. than the bloodline. And,
2: and I gotta be honest. I, I the one thing that I wish I was able to do better in in first edition that we weren't able to do. Uh, because of the way the mechanics were working at that time, um, was I really want them to have a curse. I kind of really want them to give their curse to other people. Um, there's a spell for that. Yeah, no, I know there's a spell for it. I want to make it a class kind of signature. Oh, yeah. It could that, be a
3: focus that uh, That spell, handing so out curses is a
2: thing that they do. That's just like, nope, here, have some curses.
3: Well, it's not like um, there's another class in there, the Witch, that is going to be upset is, about that. Yeah.
0: Well, There, there but, might be some more curses in the spells. Yeah, yeah
3: exactly. We, a, we built a more a robust
2: game. system there. So all of these things we're going to be going back to the drawing board on, right? I mean, if you look at how the Barbarian works in first edition, and you look at how the Barbarian works in second edition, there are similarities, but we really took a new fresh approach to it. So for these classes, we're going to do that as well. Uh, I'm also really excited to see that in the swashbuckler um I think having having a character that is super focused on mobility and you know skill use fighting um is a cool niche you know if you look at all the classes we added at first edition, there weren't a lot of kind of pure combat characters. Um, most of them ended up being spellcasters when we were adding it, at least in some way, shape, or form. They had some amount of spellcasting. There weren't very many of them that were just like, nope, I don't cast spells, I'm just here to stab you with things. Um, But the Swashbuckler was one of them, and I think that opens up some interesting opportunities for us.
3: Um, To go back to give a broad um, but very quick discussion that you were talking about of the later books and how um, we... Want you to be able to handle it i want to make it clear that when we say that the rarity system could be used to handle the letter books that doesn't mean that like you can't use them it means if you're in a really experienced group you can easily put in as maybe all the books everything you want But if you have a group with new players, there will be a way for you to make sure that people aren't intimidated and think, oh, we have to look through everything in in order to even start getting started playing.
2: And also, if you want to theme your campaign, you might focus on one book to theme your campaign strongly after that book. So if I were to use first edition books, for example, let's say we were going to do an entire adventure in, you know, Kadyrov. in Kadira. Oh, no, okay. Kadira is, <laughs> is a, a great okay. example. Um, Ustalov would work as well. But let's say we were going to do an entire campaign in, in Kadira. I might say, all right, use the core books and use ultimate magic. Right. That's because it's, it's a lot of high magic stuff. so Or, everybody ult- or gets maybe ultimate to. equipment because I'm, they have I'm, lots of markets yeah, in Kadira. yeah. Um, but, if I were going to do okay, no, our next campaign 's going to be but you know going to be an ustalav don 't use much from ultimate magic we 're going to use a ton of stuff from horror adventures right and we kind of took that concept and brought it forward, and you can easily tie rarity into that to help control the flow of new rules into your game. And that doesn't mean you can't break it, though, right? You can say, mm-hmm. oh, we're playing this Horror Adventures campaign. Everyone gets access to Horror Adventures. Everybody can take stuff from the Horror Adventures book. And somebody's like, but I want to play a character from the Dragon Empires. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, no problem. You can you can play the ninja and stuff from Ultimate Combat, but you don't get access to the Horror Adventures stuff to start. We'll give you access to that later, right? And that's an interesting way to push-pull the system so that, Things are evocative and flavorful, but you also don't have four linear feet of book that everybody needs to know for every game, and,
3: unless you want to.
2: Oh yeah, exactly. Unless unless that's the you game you You
3: choose as a group what you want to what you want to deal with to your comfort level, and that way you can play the game and tell the story you want to tell.
0: And the the rarity system speaks to another thing that we tried to do with this uh, this edition, which is. Uh, we gave it a name so that everybody can more easily understand what it is. Because we could have said in a book, like in the, in the intro text to this feats section, we said, these feats are normally only available to characters who come from Ustalab. But now we've introduced the rarity system, so everybody can be... Well, that's uncommon, and everybody kind of knows what that means. Yeah. And if you say, all uncommon options are available in my game, then everybody knows what that means. And the uh, proficiency ranks are similar. Because before, you said, I have a plus seven. Well, what does that mean? Whereas, I'm a master is much easier to just kind of understand from a surface level. Yeah. It's
3: it's the Rumpelstiltskin principle, which is naming something gives you power over it.
2: You stole the words right out of my damn mouth. <laughs> Alright, no, no, but it it is true, right? We did that over and over and over again. And it, it's it's like the reason why, you know, we, we, we've we gotten a fair number of questions. Of why is everything called a feat? And I'm like, because then I only have to explain to you what a feat is once. And now you know what it is, and I don't have to explain a feat and an alternate racial trait, and an alternate class feature, and a, and a, and a, and a. Um, all of which are basically just doing the same thing, which is choose a thing instead of get a thing. And choosing a thing, the code word for that is feet. You get to pick a thing. That is it. Um, the proficiency system, once again. We explained to you once you're able to use it. The modes of play. We named it so that we could build rules around it without having to kind of sideways explain it. Oh, you can use this ability when you're not in combat. Well, that's kind of a clunky way of saying it. I mean, and and it doesn't mean that at the table your fighter is going through the dungeon and going, ah, we are about to enter encounter mode, right? You know, that that's not how it actually works. But it allows us to speak about it to you. In a way that makes sense and has you, gives you an easier understanding of what we are talking about without having to give context or subtext. Because if,
3: if you're sneaking through a giant battlefield where a giant fight is going on in the background, then someone might say, well, are we in combat? If you just say, is it in combat? But it's clear you're, in counter, you're not in encounter mode, you're in exploration mode until some of those warriors in the battle break off and start attacking you. Exactly.
2: Um, So, I I think we've kind of pontificated enough. There's there's about 15 minutes left in this panel. So, I want to open it up to questions. Uh, if, If you could, we'll ask you to queue up behind the microphone. I do want to let you know that if you speak on the microphone, you're speaking into Twitch. So everybody hears you, so, uh, you know. And you'll be recorded forever. That's right. So uh, keep your language clean and uh, and uh, your puns to a minimum.
3: Uh, and uh, we will take Class some... houses, Jason. Yeah, time. don't pontificate, Jason. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right.
2: Did you say pontificate? Yes. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> no, all right. Seminar's um, over. Yeah, and that's it. Forget it. Um, <laughs> Mark ruined it. Blame him. Uh so uh, we'll also take some questions from uh, all of you out there at Twitch in uh, in uh, occasional intervals. So uh, why don't we go right ahead?
0: Uh, natural 20 doesn't automatically hit or save. Natural 1 doesn't automatically miss or fail. Uh, why is that?
2: Oh, so this is really interesting. I Actually, we, we had quite a bit of debate about this. Um, it was
0: a late change.
2: It was a late change because yeah. we were... So originally we were just like, yep, 20 always hits, 1 always misses. And then we thought about it a bit and we're like... Wait, is that actually the rule we want? Because it's, it kind of is, 20 always hits, I mean, except for if your attack would have been a miss, you know, or a critical failure, yeah. then, then it's still just a miss. And we were like, wait, we just built an exception rule into, into yeah. the core mechanic of the game. Right.
0: Well, and you always, you always start with that rule, it's like, oh, a 20 is always a critical success, and then someone comes along and says, but what if a farmer tries to attack a 20th level dragon? And okay. then you have to be like, well The
2: dragon okay. looks at him funny and he dies.
3: Um there's big there's bigger problems with just um with skill checks really, which yeah. is why in first edition Pathfinder skill checks didn't have that rule. But really actually I would say when it comes down to it, Jason's right, we had a big back and forth. I think that, that the winning factor was you guys by by a lot because um just you guys during the play test i don't think we actually specifically asked a question about this but in free response answers on the forums in person you were all asking um because our rule like jason said was 20 is a crit unless it wouldn't have even hit and then it's a hit and it's like that's really complicated and also it doesn't work great if it would have been a critical failure can't it just increase the degree of success by one Right. or decrease on a one. And that had actually been one of our prototypes that nearly made it into the play test already. Yeah. So, and,
0: and it's one of those things that's like, it's a simpler rule to understand for most people. And 99% of the time, the rule is the same. So you yep. might as well go with the yeah, same. Yeah, and, 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 and the times
3: of, that it isn't, it's a little better for the story. So
2: as one of the big people in the office, I, I, I was one I, of the big yeah no I, I, was, I was pushing for this change because it was a more elegant solution. It said, whenever you roll a die, you always do this thing. And that thing is, add your bonus, compare it to the DC. That is always the thing that you do. When you roll a 20 under the previous system, we short-circuited that in a weird way. We said, nope, it automatically hits. But I mean, I guess you could do the math sometimes, and maybe it might not hit. What? What? No, this is the... You no, know, tell everyone to do the same thing that they always do and then add an addendum to it that slightly alters it, right? So it's like, no, do still do the comparison and then just upgrade the success by one category or downgrade the success by one category. That's a cleaner way of doing it because I'm still asking you to do the same thing I always ask you to do, which is the thing we want everyone to be trained to do, which is roll the die, add the number, say it. GM says, that's a hit, that's a miss. And you go ah, but it was a twenty, so it's a critical hit. Great, we're we're talking the same language.
1: Next, what's the uh, one thing from first edition that you would like to see into second edition that either didn't make it or hasn't made it into it yet? I don't know. Don't, we don't control say words of
0: power. Don't say words of power. Words of power. No.
2: Ah. Uh, no. Not words of power. Um. Oh jeez! um you know uh i uh i have a I have a deep love for mythic um I, I i know it's not for everyone, but I really love some of the crazy gonzo stuff it allowed you to do um and I would love to see that find its way into the new edition, and I think the new system actually probably makes that easier than ever for us to do kind of crazy fun stuff because it's like, oh yeah, no, and now you get mythic feats. I don't know what they do, but they're awesome. Here, get some. Um, Maybe
3: it comes after Legendary. Who knows? Yeah,
2: yeah. After Legendary, <laughs> there could be a Mythic rank of proficiency. Like, there's easy ways that we can just start bolting that into the system. That's one of the things I love about the way the, the game is built now is that it's easy for me to look at systems like that and go, oh, that's how we would do that. Like, I know right now how we would do Mythic. It's, okay. it's, the, the path through is obvious to me. Um, there's a few just,
3: possibilities to travel that path, probably. Yeah, no,
2: there's different ways we could do it, but...
0: It's really easy to figure out starting points.
2: Yeah, those, the starting points are pretty simple, and uh, and uh, now we just need to find the time to do them.
1: So I've seen a lot of questions around this topic all past four days. So I'm going to give you one from Templar's Knight. He says, Greetings from Germany. You're doing awesome work. Quick question, will the Cavalier appear as an archetype in the APG.
0: Uh we don't know yet. Um so we we did a meeting about the APG uh archetypes and got a whole ton of suggestions from our coworkers about things that might go in that book. But we also kind of told, oh, Jason's looking at them. Are you going to name drop something? No, the, don't do it yet. The Cavalier uh,
3: was on the list. Well, it,
0: it was not on the list because oh, the, well, way oh, right. off, the way we we led off the meeting was saying, <laughs> don't suggest any of the existing classes right. because we know we're going to look at every single one of them throughout this process and see if it should be an archetype or not. Uh, we did. I, I believe we asked about this in the survey, and people were pretty, pretty okay with the Cavalier just being an archetype. So that's one we actually have some uh, player feedback on. Um, It was very
3: strong. When you added up the people who said, I'm okay with a lot of the old classes becoming archetypes if it fits, and the people who said, not usually, but just the Cavalier, yes, it it added up to almost
0: 80% of everybody. Yeah, raise your hand if you would be okay with the Cavalier being an archetype. Yeah. Uh, And if if you're on Twitch, spam the chat (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
2: with... (laughs) <laughs> did you, did did you, you guys, Please did you guys hear? Please don't spam the late? chat. It's too, too late. The- <laughs> We've ruined it for everyone. No, so we, we did this giant brainstorm, and, and many of these, you know, many of the awesome things on this list are going to probably be archetypes. There's a handful of things that I'm like, why did we MacGyver? Is that an archetype? I yeah, guess. Yeah, that sure. Could, that's a yeah, good yeah. archetype. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. know. Um, yeah. You get a feat that's uh, called Bubblegum that, and Twine. Only name um, the ones
0: that don't make any sense. None of the ones that's oh, Yeah, I know.
2: This, like, this is like uh, name the archetypes in the advanced players guide. Wrong answers only. Yeah.
3: Um, MacGyver, I think, is actually a good archetype, and that came from our art team.
0: We we might need to. Uh, no,
2: I'm I'm not saying that we couldn't make it work, but the, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's some licensing problems. We oh could yeah, probably well, get, <laughs> we could probably get McGruber a lot it easier. It um, shouldn't be called MacGyver.
3: It could be called
2: like Clever. Yeah. No, but improviser. there's a lot of things on here that are, that I I can I, just looking at them. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna end up writing that, right? You know, so things like pirate, acrobat, duelist, you know, martial artist, beastmaster, gladiator. Trapmaster, poisoner, you know, bounty hunter—all of these are like they're they're on the short list. Some, they're, some they're of them the are backgrounds
3: list. already. Yeah, at least one of them has already been written. Yeah. So, so
2: I think I think you know, looking at them, we're like, there, there's a lot of great ideas in there. We're we're still in the process. You know, we're a year out, so this stuff hasn't fully gotten started yet, but it's about to. And uh, in in the coming weeks and months, we're going to be talking a lot more about it. Um, and you know, with the four classes, at the very least, we're going to open up a playtest. So that should be fun. Next.
3: Uh, hi. Me and my group have been going over the book, and we're very excited to get to be playing
0: it. But the one thing that uh, caught us off guard and are slightly concerned about is the way proficiencies work specifically, and then it feels l because essentially everyone's adding their level
3: to both to hit and AC. Yeah. So it feels more like you're putting just like an extra layer of math onto the players instead of just... Sure. It's essentially, as a GM, I feel like just taking that number away from all the monsters and just... Rolling it to make it simpler. Well, as I as I discussed earlier in the panel, you could, but it has a pretty big side effect. You're looking at fifth level PCs against a fifth level monster, but that's not all that a fifth level PC will fight. They fight sixth, seventh, eighth level boss monsters. They fight fourth, third, second, first, even maybe level zero or negative one um, weaker monsters. And the fact that you're adding that is what makes it so that in this game, you don't have like a designation of solo or boss or minion or, or elite on the monsters. You don't need that. You can just use the same ogre that used to be the boss your first level PCs fought, and it can be this mook that they just wipe off the map when they're level seven. That's because of the scaling, um, Yes, sure. They're the same when they're at the same level. If you remove it, it you'll tell a story like the one with the eight bandits who are a yeah. big threat to the swordmaster, but you can't.
0: And and, you we could. Have, and we're going to have more advice on that in the game mastery guide about like I want to remove this and kind of the the effects that has on your play. Yeah. Yep, it's really, one of the variants in there. Really yeah.
2: what it does is the the adding your level allows the game the game phase to change as you go up in level because the the formula this isn't obvious, and this is super techie. The formula for AC versus attack rolls for for high melee accuracy characters is not one for one. It's not the, the the AC of the monsters doesn't go up by one every time the fighter gets another level, right? There's a bit of a scale there that allows the fighter's first attack to become more and more accurate over time. But that's a function of how the level and stuff plays into those numbers. It's not it's not as clear cut as just like. Oh, yeah, no, it's just, they're the same. They're not the same. Uh, There is a shift and change over time because we allow other bonuses to sneak in there and we allow uh, the the scale and the order to shift, especially on the monster side of the math. And what that allows us to do is have uh, your... Games like this, the math formula equates to your play experience. So at low levels, the die roll is super important because you're low level. And... That the feel of that is that you're living on the edge of your seat because you're not good at this yet. You're, you are just picked up the sword from the blacksmith and are going out being an adventurer. And maybe you'll come back a hero or maybe you'll come back in a box and you don't know yet. But as you go up in level, you become more assured. Your your What you attempt to do becomes more and more certain. That's why your level adds to those things because as you go up in level, you become better and better and better. It allows you to take on more challenging things, but it also means that the things that you faced before are now easy. And the level is the prime way that those things fall back. So if that makes sense. That's, yeah. that's why it's in there. Yeah,
0: thanks. You sold me.
2: All right. <laughs> Done.
3: <laughs> One more.
0: Uh, you mentioned a number of things from first edition that you know, we all know and love and we like to see again. How much work is being put into recreating the first edition stuff we love in second edition, as opposed to all new, special, and different in second edition? That's a really good question. That's that's something we have to. Uh, so we're struggling struggle with, with a lot that, yeah, because the demand is really high to get to get oh the older stuff back in there. Um, I think one of the things you'll see is a book like Advanced Player's Guide is more focused on, particularly with the classes, and getting classics back in there, um, whereas like. The ancestries is a little more flexible, and then we know in like spells, we're probably gonna have a whole bunch of brand new stuff, and magic items we're probably gonna have a whole bunch of brand new stuff, um, and also in lines other than like the the kind of hardcover rulebook line, I think we're we're being a lot more flexible and uh, not necessarily trying to get all. Uh, pathfinder one stuff over but kind of looking at the theme of the book and really going hard on that theme whatever makes the most sense for that product
3: and the archetypes you heard jason say included some that were archetypes that you probably haven't seen before so Mm -hmm. um it's always a discussion in fact there was some ideas for a new class that could have been in the advanced players guide instead of the swashbuckler but the swashbuckler resoundingly won out in the end but it wasn't like we were like, oh, no, there can't be a new one yeah. in here. It was on yeah. it was on the whiteboard. And
0: there was some discussion of, like, will this book be more appealing to people if it has a brand new class in it that's something they haven't entirely seen before? And right. that's where it always has to fight, like, well, I got this new class, but I could have had, you know, the Oracle yeah. or the Summoner or whatever somebody has in their head, the- so would a, it make
3: people just dislike the new class because they just imagine which old class it could have been that don't was put whatever that their, their favorite? Um, so just don't do it.
2: So, don't yeah, do it. Oh, don't we'll don't do the classes. thing you just told them about. Great. Um, no, uh, we're going to rapid fire these last two questions and we'll call it good. Uh, so we'll, we'll just keep it quick.
0: You mentioned the tra- uh, trapper class of some kind, potentially archetype. Uh, maybe, yeah. um, <laughs> Are traps and poisons and things like that going to be more accessible to the PCs? Because in past edition, they were just... So We we have a few of those in the core rulebook. Well, and there's
2: a big thing in the core rulebook, which are snares, which are easy to set up, quick quick traps that you can throw around the battlefield. So we want to make those a bigger part of the game. Poisons are now more in alchemy. We're adding more alchemical things to the game. So, yes, in both ways. Cool.
1: Thank
0: you.
2: Last question. Make it a good one.
0: Um, Okay, so... Uh, I was interested in something you mentioned around the individual archetypes, especially around, like, the gunslinger. This doesn't apply to the gunslinger specifically, and I also haven't poured through the core rulebook yet, so I don't know if there's already an answer to this. But one of the more interesting things about individual archetypes per class was the fact that you can have a lot of abilities that are do this while this. Such as with the gunslinger wizard being able to cast spells through your gun. How can this be addressed with some of the now separated archetypes that you're going to be having? So the way that
3: the, the new archetypes work that um, allows for this is that essentially something really cool that we could never do with the old archetypes. When we, Let's say we have a new archetype that's super popular, like the archaeologist was in 1st Edition Pathfinder. In 1st Edition Pathfinder, once you've written an archetype, You've written it it's out there
0: you would have had to make an archetype archetype to change the
1: archetype yes
3: but in in second edition we can and in fact have in lost omens characters guide has done this with the ones in lost omens world guide you can just publish new feats that are for a beloved archetype that came out before so it let's say there was like gun person was the name of an archetype and this, this is why we have editors everybody. and yeah no, it's true
2: and developers <laughs>
3: and so um we have gun person and it has some gun abilities and people say well we like gun person but what if what if we could have magic so we have we have a choice we could put out the gun mage as a different archetype but we could put out gun person feats that are like here's some new gun person feats that use magic and they yeah. require prerequisite some spe- spell casting and are in the gun person archetype and are like now you can shoot through your gun if you're a wizard but also a sorcerer or other kind of casters so it has that but is even more powerful because it can fit for not just the wizard.
2: Well I want to thank you all for coming Uh, this was our last P2 panel here of Gen Con there's still more PISO panels to come up Uh, I want to thank you all for watching and being here I hope you have a great Gen Con 2019. Um, if you want to see more of uh, Pathfinder Two on our Twitch channel, uh, I do. I'm going to do my plug. Uh, I, I do run a uh, office game called Oblivion Oath. I hope you check that out. That's Thursdays at noon on the Piso Twitch channel. And we just launched a show called Knights of Everflame on Geek and Sundry, uh, which is a Pathfinder Two show over there. And that'll be on the Geek and Sundry Twitch channel every Tuesday, and then loaded up to their YouTube channel every Tuesday after that. So uh, check it out. And thank you for coming, everybody. I hope you all have a great Gen Con. We will see you next time.
1: And we're back. That finished up the design philosophy for Pathfinder 2nd Edition panel. Up next, we're going to have music and ambiance with Ben Loomis from Sirenscape. But right now, I've got Logan. Hi, I'm Logan. Hey, so the design philosophy for Pathfinder, that must have been a constant debate in the office the whole time you were mm-hmm. putting this together. So what were, yeah. I'm curious, like what were some of the early pitches for PF2 like that you didn't go with? Uh, you know,
0: so from the start, we had like kind of a few things that we knew we wanted to remain, uh, that, that we wanted to keep, to maintain the same feel as first edition. And those I don't think were ever really in doubt. We wanted the story to be the same. Mm-hmm. We wanted a high level of customizability and we wanted it to be uh, a relatively crunchy tactical game. So we wanted it to be, uh, to have fewer barriers, but to still get a lot of the same feel across. And those didn't really change much. Uh, One of the things we did kind of in the early going was we wrote a lot of kind of concept and pitch documents so rather than kind of saying like, well, let's go this direction whole hog, we kind of looked at different things. Like one of those was the degrees of success system. Mark wrote that up. Uh, Rarity was one of the things I wrote up. So there are a bunch of things that uh, we snuck past Jason because he's really not very attentive. Um, what's going uh, he on? doesn't know what's going on. So we kind of went through a bunch of those pitch documents and uh, kind of picked the best ones. There were some that we tried out and then uh, then scuttled, and there were a lot that made it to the final game so it kind of was just everybody pitching in and other folks in the company kind of giving their opinions on it too Mm -hmm. so we didn't have at any point kind of a a full version that was way way different from uh from the playtest anyway we had some that were uh one of the very first things we did actually we didn't even like start writing up the rules Mm -hmm. we made each made a character Oh, Just with like a very basic idea of like, all right, this is about what the scale of the number should be or, or mm-hmm. something like that. So uh, Jason wrote a fighter, and it had like sudden charge on it. Mm. Um, and uh, I think I wrote the wizard, if I remember correctly. And, uh, and uh, uh, I, I think Stephen wrote the rogue and Mark wrote... No, I wrote the cleric and Mark wrote the wizard, that's right. Um, and so we just made those characters off like the barest bones of the system and just playtested it kind of said,
1: like, is this the type of gameplay we want? Now, at what what early point in the system did the three actions start showing up?
0: That was very early. Um, that was an idea Steven had had and uh, had been tinkering with for a long time. Um, he's got his game Dell that, right. that uses something very similar, mm-hmm. um, and I think that was kind of the, the genesis of it was was from his brain. Um, so that was one that was really early, and I think we all looked at it and just kind of said, like, if we can solve for a few issues with this, particularly multiple attacks, if we can solve for that this is going to be this is going to go gangbusters mm-hmm. so uh and that's been something that's been
1: pretty steady throughout the whole process and while you were developing the game were there any like eureka moments of things you didn't even know were problems that you discovered you solutions for <sighs> the ones that we didn't know were problems there weren't a whole lot of mm-hmm.
0: uh things that i think most of the eureka moments were here's a new thing uh, so, like, the uh, Mark coming up with the idea of the sorcerer choosing a spell list. Right. That was a eureka moment, where it was just like, oh, well, that, that changes a lot and makes this a lot more interesting. Um, we didn't have that many things. We, I guess we did have a few where it's like we made a new rule, and then uh, somebody kind of said, oh, well, this fixes this other issue in a different part of the system that we hadn't even been thinking of when we devised it. Uh, I can't think of anything specific right now, just because very long and complicated process. Uh, but there were a few moments like
1: that. Now, on the panel, you said that you were designing uh, the game to with the future of the game in mm-hmm. mind, yeah. uh, with future options. Now, without like giving away anything, like, can you give us an example of some design space that we will notice in the core rulebook where you've left room for expansion? Uh,
0: so, one of the things is. Um... I'll, I'll mention the rarity system here, okay. because we have in, you'll, you'll see in some of the uh, uh, Lost Omens books, Right. you'll see some things that use that in a little different way, that kind of uh, give you some more signposts on how rarity might be different from people different, uh, from different regions or different backgrounds. Um, so that, it has kind of this pretty uh, straightforward, you know, common, uncommon, rare, unique breakdown. But there are going to be some things that kind of say, well, for these folks, it works a lot more like a common option okay so that's one that's gonna
1: uh, be be visible in the near future okay excellent excellent now we've got to get over to the next panel that's getting Uh set up right now thank you so much for spending time with us i know the con's about to end it is i hope you have a safe trip home and a good rest of the convention all right you too and for those of you on twitch hang on we've still got several more panels to get to and of course audience participation and twitch participation is part of them if you've got any questions you want to get to the panel make sure you ask them during the chat When they call for it and we'll try to get as many of the questions as we can to the panelists while they're presenting and until then see you and that was part of no directions 2019 gen con seminar coverage in partnership with paizo if you'd like to find more great content like this go to nodirectionpodcast.com we'd like to thank our patreon supporters for making content like this possible if you would like to support the network and see that future content is created you can do so at patreon.com slash no direction or Click on the Patreon link at nodirectionpodcast.com.